On the Empire Podcast this week, we sit down and have a good old natter with identity thieves Jason Bateman and Melissa McCarthy, and the crude Ryan Reynolds. Plus, there's the usual monthly assortment of film news, reviews, and film news and reviews in the only movie podcast that isn't affected by George Osborne's latest budget because, strictly speaking, as an instrument of torture, mm-hmm. the government doesn't acknowledge our existence. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. As ever, ancient Empire Podcast bylaws decree that I must be joined at all times by no fewer than three colleagues. I've heard in her eyes and addressed me as Lord Hewitt this week are Helen O'Hara, Empire's resident John Hughes film mixer upper. Helen, yeah. sweet 16. Yeah, it is in fact 16 candles. Yeah. I know this now. In fact, yeah. I knew it before, I just forgot. And I was kind of going, oh, that's a John yeah, Hughes film I've never heard of. That's pretty cool. <laughs> going, yes, I've, I've seen 16 candles. I don't even understand why that happened. It, I was blinded by Molly Ringwald's hair. Okay. <laughs> As you should be. Next, we have Ali Plum, our youthful and exuberant boy genius, part Wesley Crusher, part Damien Thorne. Which are you closest to today, Ali? Crusher, because I'm wearing the right top for that sort of thing. <laughs> and because you crush this podcast every yes, week. I do crush In your it. mighty fist. Yes, because, of course, Wesley Crusher was known for his mighty fists. Last but not least, I'm delighted to be joined. This is a huge coup for the Empire podcast. Yeah, it really is. Delighted to be joined by uh, none other than Lynn Ramsey. Lynn, welcome. Uh, clearly, Lynn Ramsey is otherwise engaged. Uh, luckily, for Lynn, for Lynn Ramsey, we have Mr. Dan Jolin. Hello, Dan. Hello. <laughs> Glad you turned up. I'm making a western. <laughs> what it's got Dan? guns and shooting and people in it. Sounds awesome. And horses, <laughs> but no director. We'll get on to that later mm. on because uh, we're going to kick off as ever with your questions, comments, artfully redacted death threats. Let's start off with a sad one from at L Carius who asks uh, very simple sad news about James Herbert. What book of his would you love to see? Mine would be 1948. Great book. This is in reaction to the news that broke on Wednesday that the great James Herbert, the fantastic horror novelist, the guy behind The Dark, The Fog, uh, Brilliant Rats trilogy, uh, passed away mm-hmm. on Wednesday, age 69. Uh, is anyone here a James Herbert fan? I'm a, I'm a huge James Herbert fan. I grew up loving this guy's books. I've read quite a few of them. Yeah, not. I wouldn't. I'm. I'm not sure. I'm a completist. I think there's a quite a few I'm missing. But, uh, but yeah, for me, it would be the rats or the fog. Uh, the the first rats uh, for me because that those two books just terrified me. Just completely mm. got under my skin. Couldn't sleep for a week, kind of things. So I'd go for one of those. The fog is wonderful. The fog is a couple of really really horrific scenes. It's about this this fog that seeps out from the ground mm-hmm. and make drives people insane basically there's, there's, there's one scene that really really does stand out where pretty much the entire population of Bournemouth are possessed by the fog and commit mass suicide something like 300,000 people walk into the sea yeah. and uh, and die at one point there's a, a guy who flies a, a, a jet into the BT Tower at one point as well which mm-hmm. is obviously I guess off limits these days but uh, yeah. it's, it's full of these really horrific it's, yeah, it images really, it really sticks with you it's not to, I mean I think the, the biggest problem with that one would obviously be the title because we've had you know The Fog uh, a couple of Fog yep. movies uh, we've had The Mist uh, they mm-hmm. all tend to sort of get mixed up in the popular culture but uh, but this one is, is truly something pretty scary on its own uh, the one I would go for would be the uh, the third part of his Rats trilogy which is The Rats Lair and then Domain which is a fantastic book I've actually just started rereading it and it's still quite chilling it's 99p on the Kindle store Ooh. incidentally so if you want to go and pick that up you should you don't need to have read the previous two Rats novels to read this it's amazing it's basically set starts off with the London being devastated in a nuclear blast and then kicks off from there with the survivors trying to make it underground it's essentially a survival story that just happens to have giant man-eating rats in it uh, towards the end at various points throughout the book but it's not really about the rats it's just devastating and it's a depiction of of London being just ripped apart by these bombs at the beginning 
I think generally, if you're if you're in a survival situation, the last thing you want is giant man-eating rats. Three feet long rats oh. with teeth the size of your leg. But there's good meat on them. Yeah, but you can't catch them. They're massive. You wouldn't yeah. be able to kill them. They, kind, they would rip you apart. Rodent, use a, use rodents of unusual size like this can really mess yeah. up your day. Imagine the rabbit from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, but loads of them and faster and like... More intense. Yeah. Evil with mad steri eyes and great big pointy teeth. They'll do you out of treat, mate. Okay. Yeah. Did, so you, you, did you write any... Sorry, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm coming in. I've actually got to confess... And, and apologies to Herbert fans out there, but I've I've not actually read any of his books. That's okay. I was more of a king kid. That's okay. but did, 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 did he write any happy books? He wrote um, he wrote can, a lovely can we, book. Can we can we you know this is you know this yeah. celebrating the life of, of of the man and can we you know this is yeah, quite, quite quite depressing. Well, talk. he was very much he was very much a, a horror novelist, uh, but he did write uh, some varied books. It weren't all just grisly gore. Hmm. He wrote some very very hmm. nice haunting spectral stories, yeah. uh, like Haunted and, and Moon and The Magic Cottage. But he wrote uh, he wrote a lovely oh, the Magic Cottage that sounds the nice. Magic Cottage. Uh, he wrote a lovely book um, called Fluke, which is about a man who dies and is reincarnated as a dog. It was made into a film um, a few years ago, I think, starring Eric Stoltz. I think starring Eric Stoltz. Um, and the book really moved me when I was reading it when I was a teenager. Mm. It's completely antithetical to anything else James Herbert wrote. It's very, very sweet and moving. And right. It's pretty much a love story okay. rather than a ghost story. Right. Um, and it, that's 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 very, very good. But he was, unlike Stephen King, he's not been well served by movies. I think there have mm. been four adaptations of, of Herbert's novel. The Rats mm. was made into a film called Deadly Eyes, which essentially had <laughs> dogs playing rats and it was just awful. Uh, the Survivor, which is about a, a man who survives a plane crash, was mm. made into a film with Robert Powell last night very good uh, Fluke was made into a film and uh, uh, Haunted was made into a film starring okay. Aidan Quinn uh, with Lewis Gilbert directing it and apart from that they haven't really touched it and which is a uh, which is strange because The Rats The Fog Domain these would all make fantastic movies right. so there you go so uh, okay. but I'm very very sad about his death indeed uh, he was a, a great writer and fueled my childhood along with Stephen King and Dean Koontz so rest in peace Mr. James Herbert uh, moving on uh, at Red Flost asks the Thing, Evil Dead, now Escape from New York. Are there any unconsidered 80s classics you want remade? I've got a couple that Red Flost has missed off the list. Uh, we've also got Annie, which is being remade, so mm-hmm. don't forget that with mm-hmm. a little Q uh, called Jane Wallace. We've also got Beverly Hills Cop is turning into a TV series, son of the cop uh, angle. Uh, but to answer your question, I'd go for Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> uh, and also, because I love my JCVD, I'd go for Bloodsport, but I'd like it to be remade with JCVD. Interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> I don't know. I just... I, they should just leave well alone, shouldn't they? Well, really, are, are, the are there part? any left? Are there any left? I mean, actually, I was... Before the news broke about Escape from, from New York, truly, uh, this was literally days ago, uh, I was thinking, oh, maybe you could do something good with Snake Plissken with that character. Yeah these days yeah as long as you know you don't let Paul W.S. Anderson to Paul W.S. Anderson anywhere near him or something like that but um didn't they kind of do that with Guy Pearce last year <laughs> a little bit you know lockout yeah a little bit yeah, which little had bit. a lot of potential yeah, and not enough money yeah, yeah. Uh, you know Neil Marshall did his, his female snake Pliskin didn't he as well in uh, yeah. yeah very much so yeah. in the eye patch I, yeah. d- I just like can we not talk about that I just I've tried to wipe that out of my I don't mind Doomsday. I don't mind it at all. It's got some nice moments. Doomsday makes no... It's just the... It's got Sean Pertwee being burned alive and, and well, I mean, you know, and screaming. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, which I don't normally recommend, but yeah, you know. it's got some nice people ideas. Don't in burn it. Sean mm. Pertwee. It's got really interesting ideas. I just mm. felt like they weren't. There were too many of them, and they didn't make any sense. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, 
I was going to say, if you're going to if you're going to be looking at revisiting, you know, Carpenter Russell, Big Trouble in Little China, come on! <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jack Jack Burton. It's Jack Burton, isn't yeah. it? Jack I remember Burton. I remember Jack. Yeah, Jack Burton. Old Jack Burton. Old Jack it's Burton. a brilliant creation. Hilarious. Absolutely great. Mm. You, you know, know and I can imagine I can imagine the rock doing a great take on yeah. that character. Mm. That would make more sense to me because I don't think you should set out to remake the classics. I think you should yeah. set out to remake the interesting films that perhaps weren't quite classic. Yeah. Yeah. And much as I adore Big Trouble in Little China, I think it falls better into that category than say the thing. It means a lot in a weird way, that film means a lot more to me than Escape from New York. Mm. Um just because of the point in my life I was at when it came out and watching it on video again and again and yeah. again as a kid. I thought it was hilarious. It's that interesting, was great fun. Yeah, because uh, the films that Red Floss has chosen, The Thing, Evil Dead, Escape from New York, haven't really been entirely remade. If you look at it, The Thing was a prequel. They didn't touch R.J. McCready, for example. They, mm. they went to great painstaking lengths to tie it into the, uh, the John Carpenter yeah. original. Evil Dead doesn't have the Ash character in it and this Escape from New York if you don't know what this is about this is a, a announcement this week that Joel Silver is going to produce what will hopefully be ultimately a Snake Plissken origin trilogy that, um, that at some point may take in another Escape from New York but will basically tell us how Snake Plissken came to be yeah. Snake Plissken which I'm not entirely sure no. I need to see no, we're obsessed with origins these days, yeah, aren't we? Seriously, I really love the days when you could just have someone just walk into a movie fully formed and you didn't have to find out the problems they had with their dad mm. or the trauma that hit them as a yeah. child. I mean, we've mm. even, you know, as great as Skyfall is, we don't know we bond for crying out loud. Mm. Um, Where does just, it end? Sperm I, flying into an egg? Sperm with an eye patch flying into an egg. There's your escape from New York. Played by, it's played escape by from Donald Pleasance. <laughs> This is brilliant. This yeah. is brilliant. Snake Plissken Egg. Oh, this is this is genius, Hollywood. Joe Silver, my email address is Chris mm. at Nampermag. Trouser Snake Plissken. Trouser Snake Plissken has to escape from the egg. Done. Film done. Everyone's happy. Everyone wins. All right. So uh, another couple of films that I think that should be considered. Commando. Oh. No. Great Arnold film. But Leave it, be, it. It could be remade. It's perfect. But it could it's be, perfect. But Leave it. No, Dan, listen to me. Listen to me. It could be remade with Alyssa Milano all grown up now as Jenny right and Matrix gets kidnapped and then Jenny has to uh, save him <laughs> you could be remade Jenny Jenny Jenny, Jenny. Um, Hellraiser anyone yeah. okay moving on yeah. <laughs> I mean you know everyone likes sadomasochistic demons or is that just me isn't that Fifty Shades of Grey <laughs> it's essentially okay at song warmonger asks I know it's considered a no-go area for film journos I think I think they're talking to us uh, but have you ever found it impossible to resist asking for an autograph I've never found it impossible to resist asking for an <laughs> autograph I, I honestly find and autograph hunters kind of make me a little sick uh, and by that I mean the kind of semi-professional guys who hang out around hotels and the autograph vampires yes yeah. mm. they, 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 they obviously don't care specifically about the people they're trying to track down they've heard it off the grapevine that so and so is going to be at this place and they want to get it so they can flog it on eBay these are the kind yeah. of guys that just always keep sending mail outs and photoshots to different stars going I want your signature I love you my family adores this blah 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 and it's just kind of sickening but obviously that's not the question you're asking you're asking us whether we do it I honestly don't mm. get autographs as a thing I mean it's, it doesn't want to kind of make me think oh do you remember that time when I realised that Olga Korolenko could write 
<laughs> you know, it's it, it doesn't it doesn't fill me with memories. Uh, I mean, we we live in a world where everyone has a camera. I yeah. think if you're going to be cheeky enough to ask for an autograph, you could probably get away with maybe a snap as well. I think I think autographs are dying out. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I thought I, someone once told me a story about these autograph hunters. He said. Uh, I can't remember who the star was in question, but uh, someone, um, another journalist said he was with one of these autograph hunters one time, and uh, they said, oh, who are you interviewing? And the guy went, such and such. And they went, right, come with me. And they took him out to their car, which was parked nearby, and they opened the boot, and they had boxes of A4 photographs of pretty much every star you could think of in their boot, and they were just going through it. Yep, 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 yep. Got it, right. And they picked out a whole bunch of, you know, and went over and tried to get the guy to sign them so they could sell it. It's a it's a fascinating subculture, I think. Uh, it's, it's a smelly subculture, but a fascinating yeah. one nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, I, I would actually like to, if if they were willing to, maybe we could interview a couple of them because it would be a very interesting world. Yeah, Dan, you've got very strong opinions on this, haven't you? You you think it's very unprofessional to have your picture taken or your autograph? The, 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 I mean, the picture taking, I would never do. I mean, uh, I've, I've well, I agree that that's that's what I you know said, but I do have confession to make. Okay, I have a confession. Okay, which 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 could make me a hypocrite. Is this a Robin Asquith-esque confessions of a features editor? Is this going to end up with you running around with your bum out? Oh, God, please, no. In, 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 speed it up. We'll, we'll come back to that one another okay. time, Chris. But, um, no, no, I think you're there to do a job, you know, yeah, so do the job. Um, but there was one time... <laughs> I banned him. I had a junket. Uh, it was The Rock, in fact, and this was round the. Uh, this was the Scorpion King. Did so The Rock ask to have his picture taken with you? No. Um, and at that time, I was very, very much into into WWE. Well, it was even still F then. It, mm. it, was, it was about to become WWE. And The Rock was one of my favourite wrestlers. So I actually kind of that side overtook my professionalism, and I and I had a WrestleMania DVD jacket. Which uh, I handed across to him and just said, "Okay, just sign this because I wanted, you know." Yeah. And I, I, I prefaced it with saying, "I'm sorry, this is really unprofessional." But, and he sort of laughed and went, "Yep, that really is unprofessional." And then happily signed it. <laughs> uh, and that was the last. That was that was that was the the first and last time. Because he's awesome. I have to confess that Joss Whedon may have signed one or two items for me over uh. the years. Have you um, washed them since? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just put a plaster over them in the shower. No one else here saw the hand gestures, Helen, just <laughs> And I also actually once got Hayden Christensen to sign my little sister's birthday card. Uh, I've done it a few times, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I've had my picture taken with some celebrities, mainly because it's just like, you know, I've just met Arnold Schwarzenegger and I want a document of it so that one day I can show it to my unimpressed kids <laughs> and even more unimpressed grandchildren. <laughs> and occasionally whenever people are up here being shot for the... the the, the yeah. studio, the, the pop booth studio, the photograph gallery that we have, you might jump in now and again if Roger Moore is there because sometimes you know what? Ask, it's Roger actually. Moore. Yeah, sometimes and, they do ask. Sometimes, and also it helps prove that they, they were actually asked, here and, and we weren't just making it up. Eric Idle True. was like, do you want a photograph? He was. He was absolutely. Yeah, and you were like, nah. But I've only ever asked for two autographs um, of film stars in my life and both of those were people asking me to get the autographs so one was uh, it wasn't even a film star the first one was when I first arrived at Empire and I was going to interview Damon Albarn because he had written the score to 101 Recky Vic do you remember that film Dan? yeah yep good thanks Dan and um, I went along and I had a Gorillaz album for Damon to autograph and then Jackie Chan was another one that someone wanted me to get to autograph a picture of for their dad yeah, I've I've just realised that we've all done this, actually. Do you remember when Pete Doctor came in for a web chat for we, the we Up DVD? We did all get him to draw us a picture. And he drew something for James, who is obviously regularly on this podcast, and it was the most, like, in kind of the same way we'd sign something, he, in one second, did Doug. And everyone was just like, wow. 
And so suddenly, you know, everyone brought out their up DVDs and just went, <clears throat> just going to leave that there. I love that everyone just had their up DVDs on them just in case. Oh, look at this. And uh, oh, there's a, <laughs> a framed picture that I have as well. Why did you sign that? Unbelievable. So I do have an up DVD with a dug on it. Dan, would you sack us all? Uh, yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm taking notes, and yeah. I will be taking this to your superiors. I mean, in fairness, if podcast. they're animators, you know, it, it gives them something to do while they're web chatting. They can just sit there and draw for us, and uh, and it just keeps them entertained. It's really like giving your kids, you know, crayons in the car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to buy that. Well, you know what they say: he who is without sin cast the first rock. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Thank God, by the way, Nick was meant to be on the podcast today. Uh, he did pull a Lynn Ramsey-esque no-show uh, because of late-running trains. And thank God he did because The Rock was in town and uh, his good friend The Rock, who once tweeted Nick, Honestly, your good friend The Rock. I met him before any of you did. And apparently The Rock said, whenever Ali went into the interview with him for the website, he said, hey, where's my good buddy Nick the Semlian? Where, you know, so did that happen, Ali? Did that actually happen? You know what? Well, let's just say it did. I mean, it didn't... I mean, <laughs> I was actually there and I actually have video evidence of that not quite being the case. But, okay. But let's is just... This like this a prototype? Is but, this, but let's just leave it. Let's just leave it. Actually, the new story I've got coming up is is on the rock, so we'll, we'll just... Don't spoil it! Well, the way you just did. No, damn it! All right, time for our first interview now. Oh, by the way, if you want to get in touch with us at the Empire Podcast, you can tweet us. We're at Empire Magazine. Uh, use the hashtag Empire Podcast. Uh, we also are on Facebook. We're at Empire Magazine there. And you can email us. Although no one ever does these days. Uh, podcast at EmpireOnline.com. You're all Twitter geeks. You know, we love that. Well we love done. that. Okay, time for our first interview now. Identity Thief, a comedy in which Melissa McCarthy's petty criminal steals Jason Bateman's identity and hilarity ensues, was the first movie released this year in the States to pass the $100 million mark, so it's very much a bona fide smash. Take that, Rex Reed. Uh, Bateman and McCarthy, two of our favourite people, popped in recently to talk to Helen and... Ali! Thanks, Ali. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to the Empire Podcast. We have it with us today two very special guests, Melissa McCarthy. Welcome. Thank Jason you. Bateman. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, from Identity Thief, <laughs> uh, which has already made, I think, what, 70 million in 10 days at the US box office. We don't really pay it. We do it for the art. You and do, of course. Do they charge for people to go see the movie? I... I said, give it away. Yeah. Give it away. We did it for free. So. Of course you did. I've got a really important question for you. How do you go about pretending to be hit on the head with a George Foreman grill? I, I would like to speak to that. Um, first of all, you make foam ones. Ah. But we were then, wondering if it was rubber. It, some of them were. Right. 90% of them were. There was a huge stack. But the first one that he threw at my head <laughs> was the real thirty-pound one that he said, "Oh, in the in the moment, I didn't notice." Now the foam ones are about a quarter of an ounce, and he threw it at my head. He took the one that really is like thirty pounds and whipped it across the room at me. Right? Do you remember that day? I remember throwing it safely above you, so <laughs> that you threw poorly. Well, you that ran to a, to a to a position that was off camera. So I knew, well, there's no need to hit her, so let's throw the real one, and so that it would look good for camera as oh, I'm releasing it. this was happening. Wow, and, so professional. So your method and I, this, right? And I, on purpose, missed her, because mm. it was a real panini maker, <laughs> not a George Foreman grill. George Foreman grill would hurt. Big a pun. panini maker would okay. simply stop so someone. So kids at home, if you're listening, please don't throw... George Foreman grill. If you're looking right. to, if, you, if you're looking to incapacitate, <laughs> throw the panini. If you're looking to kill, 
you, you the, grab, the, grab the, the foreman. foreman. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, and it was also apparently your idea to hit her with a guitar on set. Yeah. I can't confirm that. Yes. <laughs> uh, but it was that was also a fake guitar. But it was it was made out of balsa wood. And it was uh, what they call scored, meaning that they make cuts into it so that it, it will explode um, when, on impact. When there's violent impact on someone's <laughs> skull, it will actually... I don't know that it makes it feel better. It just means it will explode easier. Yeah, we, we, we swung that a few times. And uh, I said, how about on my back or my shoulder? He just kept, he kept circling back to, or your face. It should really hit the side of your face. I was like, that's. I don't know that we can fake anything to protect. No, we found a compromise. I, I said, if it was a full facial shot, and I took her off her feet as if you were flipping backwards off roller skates, <laughs> like that. Now we're into funny violence, and so there was no way to fake a frontal face shot. So we compromised with a side face shot and built a half a helmet that would fit underneath um, uh, a wig for the the stunt gal. But there was no way to miss a shoulder too. You can't protect the shoulder, so she took a lot of shoulder shots. And then you you got a you got a few hits on it, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah I did. I mean, make matters fair. You got to punch Jason in the throat about four times, I think. But I think that was that was for just the viewers. I think everybody wanted to see that. Mm. It was an uncomfortable learning curve on that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you have you have a stunt coordinator that's always you know it's a it's a matter of like just the tiniest little like a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right, and it's always just you're moving a hair. And they always just keep saying, "You want to get as close. You want to barely kiss it. You want to barely." But you're. And he goes, "But we really need you to pop it to make it look real. You got to get it. You got to get it dangerously close." Sometimes the the way to really make that look great is to just actually hit him in the throat. <laughs> <laughs> Again, method. I mean, you're just both showing commitment to your art. I was just really into my my craft. Mm. God, thank God she took off the rings at least. <laughs> I mean, aside from being hit on the back of the head, this didn't look like the the worst movie to be a part of, you know, drinking champagne in a bath. It's a good day, right? It was a good day, especially because we were shooting in Atlanta, which was sometimes over 100. Often. often. Sometimes, oh, sometimes, sometimes under 100. Occasionally <laughs> under 100. Kind of delighted to be in a hotel room that was nice and have a bath scene. I was like, this should linger for days, but it did not. Damn it. I know. Um, I, I heard actually uh, the director say he was actually having to move away from the cameras because he was laughing at the pair of you and he was ruining takes. He also has Tourette's. <laughs> ah, that was, that that was the issue. Yeah. <laughs> he is a loud laugh. Sometimes it was like, well, that's funny. Did that take get ruined, Seth? Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, oh. Is like, there a live audience I here? No, it's really great. That's a pretty good feeling, though. That'd be funny in a movie. Identity Thief was filmed in front of a live studio audience. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. <laughs> Um, and you've worked with him, of course, before in Horrible Bosses. Right, yeah. So how was it reuniting? It was great. He's, he, you know, when you have, uh, when you have somebody in the, in the, in the, the driving position, you know, the director, and he's a nice person, it, it really filters down and, mm -hmm. and nobody can get away with being um, an a-hole. So that was a very important element when you're doing a comedy, you don't want a lot of tension around. Mm -hmm. And he introduced a new horrible boss in the form of John Favreau. He's your new. <laughs> That's right. He was awful, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh yeah, as a character, it's terrible, terrible. Oh, no, no. Speaking about the acting, sure, sure. Um, <laughs> no, this this is why he just directs now. He cannot act. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, he was very generous with. There wasn't a lot written for that part, and he came in with a lot of ideas and just 
I couldn't believe all the stuff that he was saying. I, I, it was hard. I thought I was going to have a break from laughing on camera after not, you know, working with this one. Uh, that she wasn't in that scene, but he was killing me. So, um, not a lot of it made it in the film, <laughs> just because of time. But I think if there there's are DVD so extras, oh my God, there's so much funny just stuff. On on. He just says horrible, <laughs> gross. Really, really, because he's so smart and funny, but like really specifically terrible stuff that you're just like oh. just spirit killing insults. <laughs> would, he, would he use phrases like front bottom? Would that be? <laughs> no, but he he, he will once I it. tell him about it. He was thinking it. He'll steal it. I uh, I seem to be obsessed with the physical comedy here, but I don't even care. So let's just deal with sure. it. Melissa, you get hit full on by a car. Yes. How did you feel when you first read that in the script? Did you go, excuse me? And when it did happen, how 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 does is that you just stunt stunt double just took it all for you? Well, yeah. At first, I was like, I wonder if I can. I'm an, I'm not a bright woman, so at no. first, I was like, I wonder if I can pop up under that hood enough. And then I just remember Seth and Jason looking at me with dead eyes, going, "No, we're not even going to talk to you about that." I was like, "Well, I'm just wondering if if I kick it up a little." They're like, "No," because <laughs> in my head, I'm always like, "That's probably not that hard," and then. Then seeing my amazing stunt woman do that, I thought, oh, God, that's a terrible idea. I cannot believe that stunt woman did that stunt. I mean, we were lining up to that stunt. I thought, I, there's no way you could possibly do this and it and it be something that that wouldn't hurt. I mean, she was fully padded up and she, she kept like doing this rehearsal like, well, if I just rotate really fast and if my rotation matches the speed of the car coming, then the car will just kind of roll under me and I kind of roll over the top. And I kept thinking, I once that windshield comes through, that's going to propel you forward at whatever speed that car is going. And then how do you land? Right? Yeah. And sure enough, every time, she did it twice. Crazy. And she yeah, just got catapulted through the air and bounced. Like, I wanna, I'd like to take that again. <laughs> she like, said that. I don't think that's a great idea. Right. Like just watching it is so nerve wracking. And she's a free runner. And I had, I recognized her when she got to set. I was like, oh my god, I've seen. I've, I think she did a commercial that like she. You can tell how bionic she is. But um, she, when she was like, I really like another shot at that. I thought. What? Yeah, second one, her face bounced on the pavement, cut her, yeah, cut her forehead open. Second one's open. the one that's in the movie. Yeah, she re, she cut her head open. And the good. very next day, she was she was back at work. I think she was in some kind of a a mascot suit, like a like a bear suit or something, doing some <laughs> something for I don't know what. But she was <laughs> was pretty amazing. Uh, I'm curious, Melissa, what, what your current tactics to deflect? I hear you're bi curious, by the way. I'm a little oh. bi curious. Yeah, yeah. Good for you. How did you? Good for you. We'll talk later. You're putting <laughs> off a real strong vibe of it. Thank you. Yeah, it's working. I perm this ad. It's not. <laughs> uh, what is your current tactic for deflecting bridesmaids? Two questions. <laughs> she walks right into them. <laughs> I well, it's easy because I have no answers. So ah. I usually just stare blankly at someone until they move on. You just kind of awkward them out. Yeah, I just go real dead-eyed. How can you not do a sequel for that? Got to. You must get married. Your character must get married. Oh, God, that would be good. And you'd have to eat big pastrami's eating the wedding. <laughs> they just did They did such a great one. I mean, my guess, which is based... I like to say things not based on any knowledge, because um, that never <laughs> that never gets you into trouble at all. Welcome to journalism. Is, yeah, exactly. But uh, I think they're just... I mean, Annie and Kristen wrote such a great script that I think they're like until something comes to them that's like equally great I just don't think they want to do like a bad version of anything so because sure. we had a bionically good fun time doing it it would be equally good 
I think so one. too. I think anything no else what. to write would be amazing. Yeah. Pretty, Speak. Speaking of bad versions of things, Netflix. <laughs> how are you? <laughs> no. It usually comes right to me. <laughs> how are you? How are you deflecting it currently? I'll tell you that uh, we are done shooting it, and it was great, and it'll be extremely complicated <laughs> for the viewers. Because it's thirteen episodes. That fourteen. Fourteen that are separate. They are separate, and uh, each character gets their own episode, but all the action happens simultaneously. Shut up. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I'm so excited and a little nuts for it. Yeah. It, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's it should, simultaneous. Right. So you can stop my episode at the very moment that, like, Job rides by on his Segway, and then you can click into his it, episode and follow him. Whoa. It's the most complicated, this is comedy brilliant inception. thing I've mm. ever heard in my life. Yeah, it's it, mind blowing to me. It really I don't is. know how he wrote it or shot it or scheduled it. I don't know how he's editing it, but it'll be amazing. I think. I hope. So, what is going to be the? Hmm. And how it's are only we the first. This? And it's only the first third of a three-part story. The second two parts will be in the movie. So this is the first act, and then the movie is act two and three. So 14 episodes that are concurrent with 14 different characters that lead their own episodes, but incorporate other characters that are also in their own episodes. Right, and it's all just basically asking questions that the movie will answer. So it's a kind of, will it be a who, who shot JR type thing, where everyone will have killed someone? Who's done it? I cannot confirm or deny that. It's true, then. <laughs> is Larry Hagman in it? I cannot confirm or deny. Some of his hair. I will say some of Larry's hair. Oh. The hair is on Franklin the puppet. <laughs> He's back. <laughs> <laughs> Shirley MacLaine. Tammy, is this true? Uh, nothing is finalized yet, so we're, we're doing a lot of finger crossing. Absolutely. That'd be that. incredible. Yeah, that's, that's this summer, so we're, we're crossing our fingers. Definitely, wow. I hear two of her auras have closed their deals, though. See? Maybe. Ah, perhaps. So, it could, it, could, it could be coming. And you are in a Spelling Bee movie. <laughs> that okay, he directed. Might be, might be the shittiest joke. Calls. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll no. The children! The children! <laughs> um, uh, yes. Yes. I am in a, a Spelling Bee movie. And uh, that, I don't know when that would be out. We're not done yet. Uh, it cutting, got, cutting and splicing. Has it got a title? It's called Bad Words, mm -hmm. and uh, it's pretty darn good, mm. I think. There's something inherently amazing about spelling bees. Just the fact that they exist is one amazing thing. Isn't it? And then, and then like that Spellbound documentary that came out a few years ago oh, was just one of the most amazing. incredibly yeah, funny and charming great. films I've ever seen. Yeah, it, so. that really was great. I watched a little of that. We don't have as much of that type of uh, drama. Um, it's a little bit more sort of behind the scenes. The Spelling Bee is sort of just kind of like uh, dressing. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's, yeah, that's a great documentary. Are you looking forward to deflecting all the repetitive journalist questions of, could you spell this for me, please? That that will be good. I'm, I'm, I am I'm surprised myself at how bad a speller I was. <laughs> all the words I had to spell were up on these big, huge boards just off camera, uh -huh. and I still got them wrong. <laughs> I was so dead set on not looking like I was reading a the reading signs. Bee. You know, so I would try to look at them right before we roll and then not look at them, and I just couldn't do it. I'm surprisingly dumb. <laughs> to me, I surprise myself. I might not surprise you. It's probably some kind of memory dyslexia or something. It probably like we're like, just you know, dumb. Like, we're yeah. just dumb. Or, or I'm that. gonna throw just it out straight there. stupid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we should probably wrap it up then. So the uh, so identity thief is out in the UK on in the month of March. In the month of the March. Lord, the Lord's month, March. <laughs> <laughs> Should we say about the 22nd? So somewhere, right? On the Lord's really? Day 2-2. Two, two. Two, okay. two, two of 
of March. Excellent. So I believe. Let it let it be told. <laughs> <laughs> All for the small price of. I don't. I don't I even mean, know if people pay. Do people pay? It's here? almost like we're giving it away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really. It's a really affordable price. <laughs> All right. Well, Melissa McCarthy and Jason Bateman, thank you very, very much. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Lovely people. They were. They were very lovely. Lovely, people. lovely people. Uh, film news time now. Ali, let's start with you because we spoiled it already. Now, can you guess what I'm about to to talk about? Can, no. Can, can you smell what my news? Um, no. Fuck it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. So. The Rock. I spoke to him just three days ago for the G.I. Joe Retaliation 3D 2 <laughs> junket. I was warned that he was a delight. I was warned that he was very charming. I was warned that he laughed like a drain. And so it proved. I walked in, yes, and Nick's name was brought up immediately. My old mate, Nick, he didn't say. Yeah. So that was fun. I gave him a copy of the mag. He promptly picked it up and in the video interview went, Empire. Just like in the middle of a conversation. I was like, you know how to promote things. He I does. admire that. He does. Mm. Anyway, I asked him about something that's close to my heart, and that's the Fast and the Furious franchise. His character in Fast Five, which he kind of was parachuted into the franchise, if people don't know already, to become Luke Hobbs, who is a kick-ass, don't-take-no-crap lawman, whose job is essentially to hunt down really dangerous people, including the uh, Fast Five crew. Uh, Luke Hobbs... He likes putting boots to asses, and he's a bit of a badass. We would like to see him in a movie. There has been talk of him in his own spin-off Fast and the Furious movie. Mm. And though Fast and the Furious have had several weird spinny-offy but not quite spinny-offy films, like, for example, Tokyo Drift, which has no one from the original... It's set in the future. Yes. It's well, actually, Vin, well, Diesel, Vin Diesel pops, Vin up, Diesel at pops up at the Yeah, end. but not like as a important character. And if you believe what you've heard about the end of Fast mm. 6, then Tokyo Drift will become... Uh, a part of the chronology well quite I asked him about the Luke Hobbs movie and he said they are planning on doing it after Fast 6 after Fast 6 not Fast 7 that's correct wow so people uh -huh. at, at one point thought that it was going to be Fast 6 mm. which sees the gang facing off against kind of doppelganger versions of themselves headed up by Luke Evans and so that's going to be fun my, my brain is actually hurting here then he revealed to me which kind of genuinely made my brain melt a little bit was there's going to be a Luke Hobbs spin-off mm. at that point and they're going to shoot it before Fast before. 7 he's done that before Scorpion King was exactly that it was a character introducing a sequel in a franchise um, played by The Rock and it worked so well and, and, and then he went off and did the Scorpion King which was actually better than The Mummy Returns well that's not that's not difficult <laughs> hurdle but I, I would say I mean the, the interesting believe thing believe it or here, not it was the interesting thing here is that they were initially talking about Fast 6 and Fast 7 being shot really back to back and being very much a two-parter um, you know, together. So so if they're putting something else in the middle, then that suggests that there's been some changes since those original Franchise plans. Franchise sandwich. Uh -huh. I know, it's a bit of a crazy with one. The Rock is the meat. I came up with some titles for what it could be called and I went for Fast and Furious because he's called Luke Hobbs. Yep. Hobnail Boots, Two Asses. Oh, that's, 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 that's a title. Yep. Mm. Yep. The, the Luke and the Hobbs. Uh, the Luke and the Hobbs, yeah. 6.5 fast, 6.5 furious. Hobnobs. Hobnobs. Hmm. No. It's a Emmanuel-style-esque sex thriller. Please let me stop you no? there. <laughs> Please Should let me stop I? you there. Please okay. let, let me stop you there. The Luke of Love. The Luke of Love. Mm. Hobnobs 2. It's, it's an erotic okay. thriller. Fast <laughs> and Furious 6.5. Mm. Hobnobs. <laughs> I think you're doing the rocket disservice, to be honest. <laughs> and then Fast and Furious 6.5 feet. 2, Luke Hobbs 2, Hobbs Knobs 2, Luke of Love. Fast hand Luke. Yeah. 
Well, I guess at least you didn't call it 6.9. <clears throat> What's the next news story? <laughs> I, I don't get that. Anyway, so check out that video um, on the website. Uh, you can see him yeah. talk more about, you know, what animal he's going to be riding in Journey 3 uh, <laughs> in the video that's coming out next week. Um, believe it or not, it's not a giant bee. In fact, he... Is it a giant Michael Caine? I'm not going to spoil it for you, okay. but it's genuinely a very funny response. He also talks about why he won't be part of Expendables 3. Um yeah, apparently okay. them guys ain't ready for his. <laughs> the top singer is interesting because they won't pay him enough. I'm not going to spoil, but if you read the rumors about the end of Fast Six, it's going to lead into a Fast Seven, where and uh, someone who shall remain nameless at this point may or may not be hunting down the the, the crew, and that uh, would yes. that would that would include Luke Hobbs, surely, wouldn't it? So then, it, why is he off on his own spin-off doing his own thing? Because he's a policeman. He's got yeah. stuff. But he's is got he a policeman now? Load. He's got Gina Carano. He's, he's, he's going off the grid. He's gone off the reservation. It's the great wheel of life. No, I don't understand. He goes round and round and round and round. Thanks, Dan. Uh, okay. Dan, what have you got for us? We were talking a bit about sort of the, the remakes, the remake business earlier, and I was kind of vaguely interested because this is another one of those kind of, ooh, I watched that when I was a kid, remakes. I wonder what they do with that. Pete's Dragon. Okay. Pete's Dragon came out in 1977. Best film of that year. <laughs> <laughs> not really. Um, it's not great, actually, Pete's Dragon. But it's just one of those with those those weird ones that... No, it isn't really. It really isn't. I it, mean, yeah. I remember watching it and going, oh, this is lame. Yeah. It's so cheap that he's invisible <laughs> half the time. It's that it's bit, You know, he starred Mickey Rooney, Jim Dale, Shelley Winters, Red Buttons. Um, and uh, yeah, it was this kind of animated Jimmy Hill dragon with pink wings. It's Jimmy uh, Hill dragon. Yeah, you know, it looked like a well, little bit like football. actually, it looks a bit like the Roland Emmerich Godzilla, big sort of big old chin, big chinny oh, dragon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, a lot kind of cuddlier, I think it's. But with to a say. big gold chinny okay. chin chin. I'm with you, Dan. Um, but yeah, so so they're going to modernise this story. So it's about this kid. He's got abusive adoptive parents. He's trying to escape them, and he, he's got this dragon, and he, he could be insane. But the dragon actually does manipulate the world around. Mm. So perhaps he's an insane telekinetic or something that's hallucinating a dragon. Or maybe it's a dragon. It sounds really dark. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. They could go dark with this remote, remote. Like So they do, they, they've got this guy, David Lowry, right? Yep. Now, he's he's one of these sort of uh, tyros who's, who's just done a kind of an indie drama, uh, which was big at Sundance, called Ain't Them Body Saints, starring Casey Affleck. Okay. Um, so in a kind of... Gareth Edwards, Rupert Evan, uh, uh, sorry, Rupert Wyatt, excuse me, uh, Stylee. They're sort of they're taking this guy and they're putting him onto this bigger budget thing. That's quite surprising. So it could be interesting. I mean, I'm hoping they go like dark with it. Maybe the dragon kills people Maybe. in this one. Did you say Gareth Evans or Gareth Edwards? I said Gareth Edwards, and then I said Rupert Evans when I meant to say Rupert Wyatt because okay. Carry on. Gareth Evans was also in my head because I said Gareth at the beginning of that Fair sentence. Enough. Carry on. Hence the confusion. Should I just say it all again? No, that's fine. Okay. Good, you're good. <laughs> the default reaction is to, sure, why are they bothering with that? But hey, this could be interesting. I've got a weird anecdote about Pete's Dragon. Uh, it's quite odd, actually. I walked into the video junket for uh, The Hobbit recently. Peter Jackson challenged me to make him laugh. And so my question was, does anybody refer to Smaug as Pete's Dragon? Oh, that's clever. Yeah. And if he, I just, he said, oh no, I'm going to, oh, I, should, I should do a remake of that. That's a great idea. And I was like, you actually should. <laughs> Is he a silent partner in this film? He should <gasps> be. And if he isn't, he should get smoked a cameo. Well, do you think that all movie dragons are mates? Yeah, sure. have a big movie dragon clubhouse? It's a little bit like Wreck-It Ralph. They just go to a meeting room and they all just mm. chew the fat. 
I think you've just blown the doors wide oh. off yeah. of this one. Toothless is still the best one. Also, I've just come up with the title, The Hobbsit. What's the Hobbsit. So Luke, Luke, Luke Hobbs has to walk a long distance. We're talking about dragons now, Chris. We've moved on from Luke Hobbs. Dragons. You can never move on from Luke Hobbs. <laughs> he, he's not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, the wheel of life. Yeah. He'll come after you with the thunderpants. His thunderwear. <laughs> Sorry, Thunderpants is a Rupert Grint film, yes. which, which was astonishing. <laughs> and had an early appearance by Kira Knightley. You see, red hair just completely blinds it, it the does. film titles. It does. I was on set of Thunderpants. Funny enough, Wait, did you meet Kira Knightley when you were on set? I ever played. No, I didn't meet Kira Knightley, but I interviewed uh, Rupert Weasley in his, um, or whatever his name is, in, uh, in his trailer. And he was just, I think, 11 years old at the time. Was it, Nothing happened. Was it Nick Trainer? <laughs> so, so creepy. And guess what? I'm you keeping that in. There, well, like, you, you think know, I'm going to get rid of it? I'm keeping it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't keep it. You walked in and he was doing a line, and you. Know. Yes, he was doing a his line, line reading. Dialogue. He was doing his line, line of dialogue. Then what are you? What are you talking about? Also, that was directed by um, that was directed by Peter Hewitt, and this is not a word of a lie. Uh, Peter Hewitt, who directed Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, hmm. is he? And when I was introduced to him on, on yeah. set, I went. Uh, the publicist went. Peter, this is Chris Hewitt from Empire. And I went, Daddy! <laughs> and that didn't go down well. <laughs> that has to be said. So, yeah. Not the best this episode I've ever you had. Toss it. <laughs> in my life. You're and then I asked for an autograph and I got my picture taken with him. <laughs> I did the same thing to The Rock and he actually quite liked it. <laughs> Daddy! Look, I love oh. The Rock and I met him before any of you did, but can we stop talking about him now? Never. Can we move on? I think Dan's got a little bit of an uncomfortable moment going on here. Uh, Helen, what have you got? Hello, I have the exciting news that Tom Cruise uh, is in talks to star in a f- big screen uh, version of a 60s spy movie. Yes, he'll be in Mission Impossible. No, wait, sorry. In like uh, Saint? <laughs> the Man the from Saint? Uncle. Oh! <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Guy Ritchie is now set to direct this. It was originally going to be a Steven Soderbergh joint, but since he's retiring, I'm making mm. air quotes as I say that, um, it's now a Guy Ritchie film. Um, so, yeah, Tom Cruise is currently in early talks to star in as uh, one of the leading lights of the United Network Command for Law Enforcement. We'll see if it happens or not. But, so which uh, one's he? Solo or the other one? Kirilenko. Is it Kirilenko? No, <laughs> no, it's, it's Ilya. Ilya, but definitely began with K. Is he the Robert Vaughn one? Yes, or the yes. David McCallum yes, one? Exactly. <laughs> I think he'd be the Robert Vaughn one. I, I honestly, and this is so disparaging, and I know I should be positive about it. I am so bored of this. I don't want him to do another spy thing. Why is he taking everyone's roles? I'd rather they gave someone <laughs> else a shot. Like, I actually like Tom Cruise. I'm a defender of him, but I don't want to see him in another spy thing. Well, to be honest, it does seem a bit odd given that he's still also planning Mission Impossible 5. Yeah. So this may be just one of those rumours. Yeah, he's he not been doing night and day. That's true, but it we should don't have talk stopped about him doing that. night and day. Um, <laughs> the other it, thing is, is Guy Ritchie, he's being earmarked as a possible Bond 24 director. Uh, so it's kind of interesting that he's lining something else up. Maybe, maybe. it's maybe it's all just a kind of clever play. I can't see Guy Ritchie and Bond being a good fit. I think he's too uh, stylistically out there for, for that franchise. I agree with you, but there you go. Speed ramping and Bond is a bad thing, as Lee Tamahori demonstrated in Die Another Day. It should not be allowed. Um, so, okay, cool. So, yeah. uh, should we talk about the uh, Lynn Ramsey thing, then? Yes, so Lynn Ramsey... We alluded to it so hilariously at the beginning, oh, we might as well follow her. Hilarious. <laughs> yeah. she, uh, uh, I was, was glad to be a part of it, Chris. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you, you agreed to be a part of it, Dan. Mm, thank you. So she was signed up to direct uh, Jane's Got a Gun. Jane Got a Gun. Uh, with Natalie Portman starring as the titular and producing. Jane. And producing. Um, and uh, left the project and mm. has now been replaced just today by... Gavin O'Connor. There you go. 
director of Warrior. But she didn't just leave the production. She didn't show up on the first day. Could have been nerves. I mean, that's... Trying to miss her connection on the district line. You never know. But that's but, how you... That's the executive way of, of bailing on a project. Yeah. I mean, turning up and having a fight, that's for idiots. Just not turning up. I mean, that's the proper mm. finger up. <laughs> it really is. Uh, is she okay? I think she's okay, yeah. Right. I think she's okay. But the other news story is that, that Jude Law, who's also part of this, has also now left. Mm. So they now need a new Jude Law character. It's this 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 movie's been been dogged by trouble, and we don't know the full ins and outs of why she left. But there, it, it seems clear from the stories we've read that there's been some discord between herself and the producers. Whether that includes Natalie Portman or not, I don't know. And then eventually, maybe she decided to make a a, a big statement on the first day, but not turning up. So they quickly swung into action to uh, replace her. Funnily enough, the the person who was her publicist was the uh, sister of the producer that she's having a fight with. She no longer represents Lynn Ramsey. You might be surprised to know. Uh, but this movie's been dogged as well over the last few weeks. Uh, Michael Fassbender had to drop out. He mm-hmm. was meant to play the uh, the heroic role. It's about this, this lady in the West, played with Natalie Portman, her husband, turns up riddled with bullets, and she's worried about this gang coming in to, uh, to kill him. So she turns to an ex-lover to help her learn how to fight and shoot, essentially. So Fassbender was going to be, I think, the husband. Joel Edgerton was going to be the bad guy. And uh, then Fassbender dropped out because of X-Men Days of Future Past. Joel Edgerton moved up to the husband. Joel, Jude Law came in as the bad guy because he wanted to work with Lynn Ramsey. When she bailed, he bailed. And now Gavin O'Connor's on, so they're all scrambling around trying to make... Tom Hardy. Trying to make Tom Hardy. <laughs> well, that's your answer to everything, isn't it, Dan? Yes. Quick quiz. Which other Natalie Portman film had its director yanked? Was it The Phantom Menace? No, it was, oh. it was Thor, colon, The Dark World. Oh, yeah, of course. That's true. So Natalie Portman has, has got a weird albatross following her. Maybe with a gun. An albatross with a gun, that's terrifying. Monty Python would be proud. Only Pete Strike can see off this albatross with a gun. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's very interesting. And we should also mention the, uh, the Jemison Empire Awards, which take place this Sunday. Hurrah! In London. I'm shivering with excitement. You should be. Yes. My suit's in the dry cleaners. My suit is also in the dry cleaners. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I am going to get my hair cut between now and Sunday. Fantastic. It's going to yep. be a cavalcade of uh, A-list stars walking up the red carpet. Uh, Famouses uh, everywhere. Famous London hotel. And uh, Helen, what are you going to be doing on the night? Um, I'm going to be writing the blog of the uh, ceremony itself. Cool. Um, yeah, we're going to have uh, live coverage from the carpet. Uh, so look out for that. Come along to the yes, website on Sunday night. Yes, for the first night. time ever, we're going to be streaming uh, interviews before the show begins uh, live to the internet. Yeah, I hope you're doing those interviews. Nothing it's, that can go wrong. No, it, <laughs> there's nothing that can go right. <laughs> wrong, <laughs> it's wrong. Wrong, wrong. wrong. Yeah. That's right. Yes, it wait, wrong is right. Extremely good. It will be extremely good. Ali, what are you doing? You're going to be tweeting? I'm going to be tweeting. I'm also probably going to be helping when the streaming equipment bursts into flames. Um, yes. But I'll be there with a with a, with an iPhone, basically, um, making sure that people are informed over on the internet about what's going on. Yes. And Dan, what are you going to be doing? I can't possibly tell you. He's basically you going to be it's drinking. Secret. It's a Hanging secret thing. It's a secret. No, I'm, I'm uh, as, is, as is traditional with the Empire Awards, uh, a lot of the uh, Empire team... Um, uh, we say chaperone. It's more of a hosting role, really. You kind of you get assigned guests, and you just you know they look after them for the night, basically yeah. in a nice, friendly way. Um, so, uh, so yes. But seeing as it's uh, a big secret as to who's turning up and who's not turning up, yes, we can say. Uh, I cannot possibly say who good, I would good, be good. looking after for the night. But it's going to be very, very exciting. And full coverage is available on www onlinecom forward slash awards 2013 and also there you'll be able to see the full breakdown of the Dunn in 60 Seconds final which takes place uh, tonight in London 
big star-studded panel uh, on that one. And that's, of course, our one-minute movie competition. And that's going to be a lot of fun. And you can read about the night in huge detail in the next issue of Empire, which is on sale at the end of April. Mm-hmm. Not to be confused with the one that's on sale next week, because not even we can turn something around that quickly. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay, cool. That's all the news done and dusted. Another interview now. Ryan Reynolds... It's one of the biggest stars in Hollywood, turning up in the likes of Green Lantern, the change-up, and a lovely M&S campaign. Helen's already looking a bit flushed. you okay? Uh, I'm all right. Just a mere mention still, of his name. Still, Helen, still. <laughs> Hang on. Was it the mention of Ryan Reynolds or Green Lantern? It was the mention of M&S. M&S. <laughs> this, is no, this is no ordinary introduction. Do you have <laughs> dyslexic... Were you thinking it was S&M? I don't understand. Oh. <laughs> and we're back to Fishy Shades of Grey. It's bizarre. <laughs> Starting With the Fishy Shades of Grey? What? Did you just say Fishy Shades of Grey? Well, 50. Oh. Look, Hobbs 3. Hobbs Knobs 3, Fishy Shades of Grey. I like it. The artist formerly known as Van Wilder popped into London recently to talk about his new animated movie, The Croods, and we sent Phil DeSimlian and Ali to talk to him. Before you listen to this, I've got a little apology to make. I did a blooper with the uh, recording of this job. Did you do it as Charlotte Copley, is it? <laughs> oh, no, I totally screwed this one up. Um, yeah. Uh, apology, all of my family, for doing that accent. Um, anyway, so, yes, I've cut this down to about five to six minutes, uh, essentially because he said some really interesting stuff about the Deadpool script, which is written by the Zombieland writers. Uh, which is very interesting. He reveals quite a few tidbits about it. But the quality, the sound quality, isn't too great. So if you're allergic... We had technical problems. Yes, yeah. I, I did a snafu. And if you could just forgive me for that, then that's great. If you can't, then jump ahead six minutes. Never. Sure. And, of course, there's a transcript full thing up on the website. That is correct. As soon as, as well. you hear this, it will also be up on the website. And he is a very funny man, so do read it. So here it is. Ryan Reynolds. There's been... Much talk on the wires about the idea of a Justice League movie. Yeah. So it would be very derelict of us not to raise... Your empire. Yeah. We have to. Yeah. We have to. Have you heard anything? Has anyone called you up and gone, Ryan, keep your diary free? This could be happening. We uh, need you involved. Do you want to be involved? I, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's, it's, if you're going to do comic book movies in that vein, you really have to get them right. And, and you know, I, I believe that... You know, Joss Whedon is a guy that just nails it. Christopher Nolan obviously nails it. You know, so um, I, yeah, if they were going to do it like that, it would be it would be interesting to do. I just I, it, you know, working on Green Lantern, I saw you know how difficult it is to kind of make that concept palatable and and how kind of confused it all can be when you're you know when you don't really know exactly where you're going with it or you don't really know exactly how to kind of access that you know that world. You know that world that comic book fans have been accessing for for decades and falling in love with. So, so I don't, you know, I don't know. I, at this point, I have very little interest in you know joining that. It's always a great script and a good director could turn that around. For me, you were the best thing by a long way. I mean, Hugh Jackman's fantastic, but in um, Wolverine Origins, oh thanks, yeah, you you were just fun like so much fun, and yeah. I just thought, why can't we just forget these guys and then watch these two yeah. just kind of do their thing? Yeah, and. Obviously, I'm not going to ask you about, you know, whether there's going to be a Deadpool spin-off or anything like that, but could we expect maybe a Days of Future Past cameo? I just feel like you yeah. need to grab the size of a camera and smash somebody around the head with it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I love that kind of stuff. I loved doing Wolverine because I just kind of came, the movie's not on my shoulders. I just get to kind of come in and insult everybody and then they, you know, sew up my mouth and hire a different actor. So I, it was, yeah, it was, for me, it was, it was, uh, it was 
be a lot of fun, actually. But um, and I love that character. I love Deadpool, and there is a script; it's in development. But um, it's so so far into the rated R, nearly NC seventeen world that yeah, I just don't know if um, if a studio would ever risk their reputation doing it. Where I and I the people we we the people that have been developing it would never want to do it unless you could do it that way. So Paul Wernick and um, Rhett Reese, um, they wrote. The Zombie Land movie, the <laughs> yeah, Zombie Land, Zombie Land, Zombie Land, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, which I thought was a great script as well. well so that's, they, that's they, got a similar tone almost. Yeah, it's it's yeah, and so they wrote it and and um, they developed it as well, and you know, uh, uh, it's it's sitting there. It's just uh, yeah. the problem is this is just it's not an enormously high budget film. You could do it for actually for pittance compared to the you know the the, the modern sort of epic scaled super superhero movies but uh, you know it's about a guy who knows he's in a movie and knows he's in a comic book <laughs> who you know is deeply uh, mentally disturbed and uh, hyper violent yeah. And, uh, yeah and you know that's tough to sort of get by a studio we're celebrating movie soundtracks at the yeah. moment and Adventureland has got a terrific one for one yeah yeah um, do you have Yola Tango do you have yeah do you have a um, one movie soundtrack that really kind of inspires you they keep re- revisiting um, and, and and why I mean I, I, everybody loves the mission just because I I, it's, I also find it sort of like funny and moving at the same time because it's so like powerful and <laughs> intense um, I like anything Michael Dan has done uh, he just actually won an Oscar for Life of Pi he did he scored the first movie I ever did and I've sort of followed him ever since and, and, uh, and he's scoring the movie I just finished as well with Adam McGoin oh okay and uh, so I love his his stuff I mean Life of Pi was I thought, a beautiful beautiful film did you see the mission in the cinema because I remember seeing it no with my parents and, and, and just it destroyed me and I think the music was hard to masturbate to <laughs> you know what that was on my mind but I didn't want to say it yeah I know yeah I okay see. thank you right yeah you're welcome yeah. Uh, yeah, I saw it at home. I saw it. I saw it at home. It was well, you must be. Yeah. yeah, of course. I can't just do that in a theater. It's sort of heat. Mm. It's good to have uh, you know standards. <laughs> I find. Um, now I'm just going to jump back because it's dawned on me that I need to ask a slightly stupid question. But with this planned, not necessarily going to happen, Deadpool thing, how would it work? In the time period, would it fit within the Wolverine story that we know in Origins? Mm. Can you tell us that? I don't think you can do that because that character would really sort of sully that whole world. Yeah. It's a, you know, I mean, the script is like, you know, one rewrite away from Deadpool jumping across the desk at the studio executive and attacking him. It's it's, great opening scene. Yeah, exactly. Um, But, you know, I've always wanted to do the movie just if only for the reason where I get to, Deadpool gets to do his own movie trailer. So that that's something that we we were dying to do, and we, we would love to be able to be a part of that. So um, yeah, I, I don't know how it fit in the current iteration of the script. There's no, it doesn't you know, it sure. doesn't address Wolverine, doesn't address um, any of that stuff. It does address Deadpool in Wolverine. Deadpool was not happy with Deadpool and Wolverine. <laughs> His mouth was so shut. That's yeah. not what Deadpool was. A bit of a WTF moment with that. <laughs> Lovely man, bit crackly, but <laughs> lovely, lovely. Man. His voice is really bad these days. I mean, <laughs> terrible. Um, so yeah, again, apologies for that. Yes. Um, but yeah, Ryan Reynolds is a cracking interview, and also let's a say it, interview. let's say it, he's lovely. Oh, he's a lovely man. We don't really have monsters or tyrants on this well, show. Yeah, do why we? don't we get a total <laughs> bastard on the show? 
Every then, week. then we can conspicuously fail to say that they're <laughs> yeah. lovely and you can all draw your own conclusions. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, time for this week's reviews now. Let's start with the big release of the week. Uh, Brian Singer's Jack the Giant Slayer starring Nicholas Holt in an update of the classic fairy tale Jack and the Beanstalk. People are pointing to themselves frantically going, am I going to be talking about this? Is this? Am I reviewing this? Uh, okay, I guess I'll review this one. Uh, Helen. Yes, uh, th- so this is uh, an updated uh, version uh, of the story. Uh, Nicholas Holt is Jack. He takes a horse to market and uh, comes back with, with beans. Um, but there's a bit more going on here. There's also a sort of rebellious princess um, who's played by Eleanor Tomlinson who is kind of uh, railing against her father's plans for her. So he's Ian McShane. He's king of cloister of this kingdom um, and he wants her to marry Stanley Tucci. And because she's weird, she doesn't want to. I mean, admittedly, <laughs> Stanley Tucci's playing a really sinister kind of grand vizier type power behind the throne here, with which might be why. bad teeth and stuff. And, oh, yeah, yeah, but, you know, Stanley Tucci, come Yeah, but he's on. not playing Stanley Tucci. If he was playing Stanley Tucci, well, I then that would be know, she'd be thing. all over that. Yeah, okay, but, yeah, fine. Anyway, she's so she's not sure that she wants to marry him, so she kind of runs away and bumps into Jack. And uh, here they are having a nice, civilised conversation. Only one of the beans, meanwhile, has fallen through the floor, is getting wet because it's raining outside, and whoosh, magic beanstalk. Uh, which it turns out lands, takes them all the way up to a land of the giants, and she gets captured by the giants. And... Um, you know, Jack's kind of uh, left lying on the ground at the foot of the beanstalk, uh, feeling a bit guilty, and now with a sword at his throat because um, the palace guard, led by Ewan McGregor, has turned up and, and said, um, where's the princess? So uh, so he goes on a mis- mission to rescue her, and uh, giants obviously make that slightly difficult. Mm-hmm. I just realised that the magic beans are a lot like gremlins. <laughs> they are a little yeah. bit. What would happen if you got them wet after midnight? Or fed them. Shoot. Mm. Yeah. That would be incredible. Don't feed the beans. Don't feed the beans. So, um, it's, I mean, as an adventure story, I think it's pretty good. It's, it's, you know, there's quite a lot of action happening. It does kind of keep moving that way. There are sword fights, there's giants, there's big war battle, you know, um, set pieces. Uh, there's kind of a race down the beanstalk to get there before it is cut down. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of kind of excitement. Uh, for me, what was missing from this was, um, I think, a lot of the humour. Because I, I was on set of this and they were talking about it being a bit tongue-in-cheek, being very funny, being very kind of light. And very and some bridey. of that... Yeah, they and some of that kind that of gets... Themselves. I mean... Yeah, some of that just gets lost. And I realise, you know, you can't sort of review what it isn't to some extent. You can't say, oh, well, it should have been The Princess Bride, but it kind of <laughs> should have been a bit more of that. I think than it than it ended up being. I so got that, that from the... it though, Helen. I got that from yeah, it. I, I, you know, I actually went in with very low expectations, and and came out thinking, yeah. I mean, it wasn't. It's not. Don't get me wrong. It's not as good as the Princess Bride, no. but it's definitely. I felt that vibe to it. That sort of very sort of light fun, and it had it kind of had that sort of tone that you got with a lot of. Um, you know, uh, the sort of 80s ad- adventure films, yeah, family adventure films. Yeah, it does have films. that, actually, yeah. Um, at times I felt it was straining a bit hard to be funny, and it wasn't quite landing. But there were other times when, when I thought it worked quite quite nicely. Mm. Um, yeah, I thought there was a nice surprising seam of darkness, some plot twists I didn't see coming. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I can't say too much, obviously, about that. Um, I thought the cast were fine. Ewan McGregor is very charming. Ewan McGregor was having loads of fun, I think. Yeah, that yeah, one. He was kind yeah. of the Errol Flynn type. With boy band hair, which is kind oh, of yes. yeah. fabulous quiff. Yeah. Uh, it's an unfairly maligned film, I think. It hasn't done very well in the States. And mm. there was talk of him was pushed back. Immediately that has connotations of being a stinker. And, you know, the Brad Singer has already moved on to X-Men. So it's failure at the box office may not affect him as much as it might have done otherwise. But... I think it's a perfectly fine, like all the great and powerful, both this, I think this month will be fine, perfectly fine, respectable fantasy 
entries that are aimed at a slightly younger audience. Yeah, and I, I, I think this is, kids are going to love this. Actually, I yeah. think. I really yeah, do. if they if they if they you know actually get their parents to go and take them with all stuff. <laughs> I'd like to just drop a couple of maligny drops into this uh, otherwise lovely pot of well, hey your malign beans are about to sprout up through this pot yeah they're about to get proper malignant uh this is for me fine you're right it's all right it does the job it's fine but i honestly for the first two thirds of it we're just a bit bored i uh, they underuse you know al swearingen from uh, deadwood in mcshane they put him in this big golden suit and he does the kingly thing he has like one visual joke which i enjoy but won't spoil for you and I found Nicholas Holt, who I normally like quite a lot, just a bit too po-faced, and it's very clunky at the beginning. There's a kind of a setup um, when he's a kid moment, which is quite shonky. Yeah. I There's thought. There's that weird sheet CG sort of telling of the history, isn't there? It tells it's the deliberately the done Germans. with like unrendered CG, which I I thought was kind of odd. A good for them for An odd trying decision. something new yeah. uh, in the artistic form, but for me, I looked at it and went, like you were saying, I had no expectation for this, and I was mm. like. That just looks bad. I just looks yeah, bad. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but it really saves itself with the last third, which kicks it up a notch, and you, yeah. you get a huge fight sequences. Yeah. And you can just yeah. tell you have that feeling as you're watching the film that the director is on board now. He's really into it, and he's having a lot of fun. I, I, I like the build up. It kind of it flips. It, it obviously it's fairy tale fantasy, but it kind of flips genre in a way. It starts out as a as a fantastic ex, expedition film. Sure. Yeah. Which I really like. I really like the journey up the beanstalk stuff. Mm. Like they actually didn't go. Oh, we're at the bottom. Of the, oh, we're at the top of the beanstalk. There was there was a journey up the beanstalk. Sure. Which um, which I really liked. And then I don't want to again. I don't want to spoil the final act for people. But then it kind of shifts gear significantly. I love that. Uh, which works really well, I thought. And it it becomes a different kind of film in a way. Mm. Um, so I'm yeah. I take I take the reservations, but I, I just think you know that's that's. Let's enjoy it for what it is, and it's just yeah, a, just mean, a just a fun adventure film. It, it's good. I wouldn't necessarily tell people to run out and see it. Is what is the way I put it. Oh, it's, th- it's three stars. I mean, I, I think it's slightly hampered at the end. I mean, the the, the giants are mocap giants. They're not entirely convincing. I would say they're very very impressive, but they're not, never photoreal, mm. for example. By the way, it was, was shot in three D. By the way, so the the three D is pretty pretty effective. Okay, yeah. and we give a three stars we for did. Jack the Giant Slayer, which, as we always say, is a recommendation, especially if you have kids or no kids, uh, take them along <laughs> and see it. Okay, or don't. Don't or don't. Don't take you. your no kids. Don't take your no kids. If you don't have if you don't have no kids, then mm. don't take your no kids. If you don't have children, don't take children. Or have children, but then the film will be like ten years old by the mm. time they're showing age show to it to it. them on on super Blu-ray. Yeah, or just have it injected straight into their brains. Uh, okay, so let's next talk about Identity Thief. We've already had Melissa McCarthy and Jason Bateman in that office. So. I'm going to keep this one relatively short. Um, this has been panned by critics across the board, both in the US and in the UK. Um, we ourselves haven't been very generous to it either. We gave it two stars. It's the story of a man with a girl's name. Uh, Sandy is the name, and there's a hilarious hmm. moment. You've got a girl's name, Ali, haven't you? Uh, I've, got, I've got the name Alistair. Hmm. You're calling me Ali. Hmm. So how about that? But so, don't you want to be called Ali? I'd rather be called Alistair. I'd like to be called Sir Alistair, as I am a baronet. Are you? Yeah. Is he? But I don't make a big deal of it, you know? Anyway, so... <laughs> You're very down to earth. I am a bit. Yeah, I like that, but yeah. Almost subterranean. <laughs> okay, so he's called Sandy, and uh, apparently that's a funny because it's a girl's name, and there turns out there is somebody who is a, guess what, identity thief, uh, played by Melissa McCarthy, who sees that 
he is uh, you know well-to-do businessman who's kind of chugging along in his suburban life and decides to steal all of his ideas identity and and takes his money and kind of lives the life of Riley and splashes champagne over her head and generally has a jolly good time but Jason Bateman won't stand for it and drives in a very convoluted way he's forced to go and see her himself because the police can't get involved due to state boundaries and other such bollocks and then drives down finds her they kind of after this become friends through another complicated meandering plot move and they get the other guy who's somehow also bad they saw him out too but, as you may have guessed, I'm not in love with this film, but I am in love with Jason Bateman. I am in love with Melissa McCarthy because mm. they both elevate this from what is a very kind of turgid script into something sort of watchable. They are both such great screen presences and they work so well together. They are obviously having a great time bouncing off one another, trying to outdo each other. I mean, sometimes literally when they're bouncing heavy objects off each other's heads. Yes, we had a long discussion, as you've just heard, about them slinging... Uh, what was it, a guitar and a uh, George Foreman grill sandwich toaster at each other. It's frantic, it's silly, it's physical, and... It's just not very funny. It's just not very funny. Okay. Uh, give it, give it with the best will in the world, it's just not funny enough. Is it one of these movies that's trying to be Midnight Run? Uh, maybe. Uh, that's, what, that's what it strikes me as, it strikes but, me. Whenever I see mismatched couple on a road trip across the States, I just think you're trying to be Midnight Run. Kind of. Kind of, but it's or one of planes, those... trains, and automobiles. Or planes, trains, and yeah. automobiles. Yeah, but there's, whenever there's peril involved, mm. there's a and, touch of both. Yeah, a touch of both. But it's yeah. frustrating that you're seeing Melissa McCarthy being put into this slightly off kilter, crazy lady role. And guess what? Jason Bateman is a down on his luck office jockey. I'm just like, oh come on! I mean, your agents need to give you yeah. something else, guys. To be honest, it would have been actually much more interesting had they swapped roles. Good point. That would have been a really, really. Um, a little bit more of a surprise as That's a film. That's such a good point. That would have made it so much more interesting. You're messing with my mind, Helen. <laughs> Jason Bateman not as an I office jockey? I can't. I can't. I can't. I just can't. You just can't. They could at the box office, so maybe we're yes. all wrong. So Maybe we are. Uh, so two stars for Identity Thief. Unless, of course, it stole the grosses of other movies, but that's far too high convoluted for me to work that one out. <laughs> anyway, so we move on now to The Croods, the aforementioned animation starring Ryan Reynolds. Indeed. That, that's right. He plays. I just want to see if you would swoon again. Uh, which is the latest from DreamWorks Animation. That, that that's become more of a a positive thing over the last few years. Yeah, with How but, to Train Your Dragon and so mm, on. You know, yeah. there's 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 hope there. But perhaps yes. not so in this case. I'm they're actually making more original so movies than Pixar now. It seems that's certainly true. Yeah, they're making more movies. Yeah, more good movies. Original, more, original, original. original. Yeah. Um, although there's always a Madagascar film. Madagascar three was good, Dan. Yeah. Oh, Dan. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think I'm the person who's seen this in the room. Uh, it stars... A couple of details before I get started on this. This was originally going to be an Aardman project mm. uh, back when DreamWorks and Aardman had a relationship and they made Flushed Away, which was not as much of a success as either parties wanted. And they decided to amicably separate. Uh, this was something that was written originally by John Cleese. It was a script called Crude Awakening, which mm-hmm. explains why it's called The Crudes, because as it is, it's just called The Crudes. And you go... Well, that's good for you guys. Doesn't really indicate what it is. Anyway, it's a group of Stone Age prehistoric uh, folk, a family. There's a there's a granny, a mother, a father. A it's dog. the granny sassy. The granny is incredibly crotchety and has oh. a long cane that she pokes people with. Right. Um, so they are the crudes. And is she like the granny sloth in Ice Age Four? Not quite. Okay. Um, Nick Cage is the father. Emma Stone is the I just want to get out of here daughter, and Ryan Reynolds is Guy, who is a 
non-Neanderthal. He is a homo sapiens who knows what fire is and how to create tools. Now, the life of a Stone Age family, as it turns out, is to hide in caves. And when the light comes out at daytime, they rush out to desperately find food, eat the food, and then rush back into the cave. You might think that's quite boring, and it kind of is to begin with. You go, right, so it's just a bunch of people hiding under into a cave. But uh, in the first 10 minutes, there's an incredible scene where they have to go and get an egg and they have to go and find this massive bird's egg. And it's a big chase scene, and these animals are chasing them, and you suddenly discover that the art design team have come up with some brilliant ideas. Every animal in this film is a cross with another animal, and even another animal on top of that. So you have these mice, which are also elephants, kind of mammoths at the same time. Mm. It's difficult to describe. There is a giant cat, which becomes very important in the film, which has these long, big saber-toothed tusks. It's like a massive white tiger, but it has a parrot's body and colouring. Okay. Huh. So interesting. Interesting, exactly. More interesting than any of the TV spots or trailers for this film have made it seem. Quite so. Uh, you can check out our gallery. We've got them on the website of these different animals, and it's actually really quite interesting. You so, have this. So is this is this supposed to be set in the past, or is this some weird kind of Darwinian sci-fi alternate reality thing? It's an alternate reality past. It's a pseudo past. It's meant to be the point where, as they put it. History hasn't quite got itself sorted out yet. Uh, they're kind of working... Or evolution, from the sounds of it. Well, yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, the family meet Guy and discover that the Earth is falling to pieces. The Earth is crumbling in on itself. And they go on this long, 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 long journey to find a safe haven. And that's essentially the film. I've so summarised it It really entirely. is Ice Age 4, Continental Drift. <laughs> it's a very similar kettle of fish. <laughs> but like it, yeah. I think Ice Age 4 had much more humour. This, I felt, honestly lacked just lacked the gags it had the visual flair when they had these chase scenes you have these races and you know things hit against each other we've got these beautiful animals it's visually very interesting mm. but it just wasn't funny enough and Nick Cage kind of dials it in honestly I found it quite dull mm. and though I like the voice cast I love Emma Stone I actually enjoy Nick Cage in his own ironical way so basically this week's reviews are brought to you by Not Funny Enough it is genuinely Not Funny Enough both you know, this isn't a good week for comedy I'm sorry uh, both the Croods and Identity Thief and failed Jack the to deliver. Mm, yeah, I guess. That's a shame. So, yeah, if you're desperate for a family adventure and you just want to do something with the kids this weekend, then... Jack the Giant Slayer. <laughs> by all means, go see Jack the Giant Slayer. Thank you for taking that joke away from me, Dan. That was good. But otherwise, I think Croods is just better left on the on the scrap heap. And I really wish that Ardman had done it. Does it address the fact at all that Neanderthals... Obviously, as history has it, will slowly die out. I have, I have this vision of almost of a animated version of a moor. <laughs> That's an interesting question. No, they ignore that entirely. But they give the Neanderthals incredible strength. They can do anything, which allows for a lot of kind of visual, you know, kinetic fun. Nick Cage can Nick Cage yeah that's right I was about to say Nick Cave Nick, <laughs> Nick Cave is Nick the most caveman. amazing caveman um, Nick Cage can pick things up and throw it about no problem two British stars for the cruise not a great week sadly uh, also out this week is Post Tenebrae Lux which we gave uh, two stars to John Dies at the End which we gave three to Matteo Garone's Reality which is also a three star movie and Neighbouring Sounds which is given four stars so not a great week for the old movies I would say all in all uh, next week we're going to be talking about the likes of Danny Boyle Return to directing Trance, so things are on the up immediately. And we'll also be talking to the man who could have been Sir Danny in a very special podcast. It will be available from next Wednesday when the movie opens. 
We'll also be talking to G.I. Joe Retaliations, Jonathan Price, who's all kinds of uh, wicked fun, and the wonderful David Holmes behind so many classic soundtracks over the last few years, of course. He's going to be talking about Good Vibrations, a Belfast-set tale of Terry Hooley, an indefatigable record store owner slash DJ, a music fanatic whose happy-go-lucky attitude made him a legend during Northern Ireland's darkest times of troubles. The troubles, essentially. Uh, that's it for this week's Empire Podcast. So it is. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be talking once again to Danny Boyle, Jonathan Price, <coughs> and David Holmes. Until then, it's goodbye from Helen. Goodbye. It's goodbye from uh, who are you, Dan? Yes, Dan. <laughs> Bye. Bye, Dan. It's goodbye from Ali. Bye, Lynn. And it's goodbye from Lynn. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to reread Domain in a tribute to a legend. Bye.